0: Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast to help you understand better, and if you're a preacher, preach better from, the Hebrew Bible. I'm Tim McNinch, a Ph.D. candidate at Emory University.
1: And I'm Dr. Rachel Wren, an ordained Lutheran pastor and assistant professor of biblical studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary. Our esteemed co-host, Randy, Randy, (laughs) Randy.
0: (laughs) Wait, when did we get Randy on the podcast?
1: (laughs) Why am I so esteemed co-host, Rosie Candethil, is off this week. Before we get into the first reading, we have some podcast news to share with you.
0: We have made a couple recent updates to our website at firstreadingpodcast.com, and one of those is a big button you can use to make a donation in support of the podcast. Yay! You can give a a one-time gift, or you can set up a simple recurring donation.
1: We provide our podcast completely free every week, and we will continue doing that. But there are some costs involved with all this, um, including the time we spend preparing and producing each week's episode. So for those of you who have been wanting to support us in this work and help make it sustainable, we wanted to make an easy way for you to do so. And after three years, it seemed like the right time to take the plunge.
0: Yeah, exactly. So so you'll find that big donate button on our website next to the subscription links. And we also have a new merch page. Yes. <laughs> Where we've begun posting first reading swag that you can purchase. Mm. Uh, really, this was just an excuse to make a first reading branded coffee mug, uh, which <laughs> I'm using right now as we record.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so So official,
0: I know, right? Uh, Well, and you, listener, if you want one or a sticker or a magnet or you know, maybe t shirts someday or something,
1: oh, sky's the limit.
0: You can order those things there on the website, and we'll get a cut of the purchase price. I mean, that's not as directly beneficial to us as a recurring donation, but we still really appreciate it. And we'll try to continue adding fun and quirky merch to that space.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, and if you do set up a recurring monthly donation of, say, $5 or more, and you give us your shipping address, we'll send you one of our nifty coffee mugs for free as a thank you.
1: (laughs) So we're like NPR fun drive hosts now. We need like free tote bags or something.
0: (laughs) Well, now that you mention it, take a look at this.
1: (gasps) Oh, Nefesh! I have to have one.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) I thought you'd like that.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. Well, I could go on and on about our amazing merch and our fun little coffee mugs, but we should probably do an episode, huh?
0: What a great idea. So the first reading for January 3rd is uh, Jeremiah 31, 7 to 14. Mm. But a weird quirk of the RCL is that anytime there is a second Sunday after Christmas, but before Epiphany, they have the the same set of texts there. And as it turns out, last January in 2021 had such a week. So we've already got a recent episode on Jeremiah 31, mm. which you can find on our website. And, and, oh, and by the way, there's a, there's a great little search tool on the site where you can put in the name of any biblical book and it will instantly pull up any episodes that we have on that book. Nice. It's really nifty. I use it all the time. <laughs> True story. Anyway, uh, since we have that episode on Jeremiah 31 from not too far back... I thought I'd take a look at the psalm for the week, Psalm 147, 12 to 20.
1: Ah, lovely. I love the psalms. I know
0: you do. You just wrote a book on them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) So uh, the first thing to say here is that even though the lectionary sets out verses 12 to 20 as the reading, I'm going to recommend that you go ahead and include the first half, 1 through 11 as well.
1: Ah, music to my ears. I love it.
0: (laughs) Especially with a relatively brief poem like this, it doesn't make much sense to chop it in half anyway. I mean, whoever heard of reading half a poem? Right. (laughs) Anyway, at least add it to your reading of the text. It's only going to take you 60 seconds more. I know, I timed it.
1: Love the specificity. And 60 seconds, well worth it, because those first verses are such a beautiful picture. God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their sorrow. That's just gorgeous. And it's so poignant for this season of our lives and of our world where there's still so much hurt right now, even on a global scale.
0: Yeah, precisely.
1: So, okay. So what do you think is worth highlighting then in this Psalm for Preachers?
0: Hmm. Well, the poem totters back and forth between these two major themes, God's care and order of creation and God's care and ordering of Israel and specifically Jerusalem. On the creation side, we have God's numbering and naming of the stars as an expression of power and wisdom in verses 4 and Mm 5, God's provision of rains to grow food for animals and birds, verse 9, God's sovereign command over snow, frost, hail, wind, floods, Mm -hmm. all that in verses 16 to 18. And then there's God's care and ordering of Jerusalem. God builds her up, gathers her outcasts, Doctors, their broken hearts and grief, all of that in verses two and three, provides security and safety for Jerusalem's children, verse 13, gives peace and food, verse 14, and has made known a structured, divinely ordered social code in the gift of chok umishpat, mm. statutes and ordinances mm. in verses 19 and 20.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting because it's almost like this ascending list of gifts from God, but where it... Finishes Like the apex of it is this statutes and ordinances,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: doesn't really sound like a great gift to our ears, right?
0: <laughs> right, that's true. Uh, but as with most things, context is key.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially for a psalm like this, right? I mean, psalms are notoriously hard to date, but when we get to the, the latter half of the Psalter, we're pretty clear that most of them come from like the Restoration era, after the babylonian exile and for anyone who can't quite remember babylonian exile is that moment of national trauma when everything changed the whole city of jerusalem either was taken into exile or left in the rubble and the ruins um the aftermath of warfare and when they finally were able to come back and rebuild 50 years later that's when we see texts like this so when you're thinking of that rebuilding era gosh order injected into chaos would would really be received as a welcome treasure right
0: yeah exactly exactly and and not just structure for structure's sake mm. i mean these statutes and ordinances by which the psalmist refers to god's torah is presented as divine order mm-hmm. a kind of alignment with the way that god's arranged the cosmos yeah so while the rest of the world struggles to figure out how to live God's people have been gifted with like the blueprints of wisdom.
1: Mm, The blueprints of wisdom. That's a nice way to put it. So cosmic order and social order.
0: Yes. uh, But notice, it's not like one stanza on the first theme and then a second section that's on the other. The poem weaves back and forth between these two themes to tie them together. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful poetic way to say that the one who orders all of creation with its powerful forces is also the one who cares for the community of Jerusalem. Mm. It's meant to inspire wonder and trust and a feeling of ultimate safety and liberation.
1: And that's really a beautiful message in our time where anxiety is kind of just the name of the game, especially with this complete uncertainty of what's going to happen next in terms of the pandemic.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Mm, That's really nice. Anything else you wanted to point out, like uh, preaching pitfalls or anything else?
0: Yes. Uh, Before I get to pitfalls in a preaching angle, let me toss in a couple other exegetical insights. Uh, One is the prevalence of these substantive participles in Hebrew (laughs) (laughs) in this poem. Uh, The NRSV translates all these as a bunch of habitual actions. God does this and God does that, which is fine, but I really like to translate these participles as substantives, as nouns, Mm. really titles for God. Builder of Jerusalem, healer of the brokenhearted, Mm -hmm. counter of the stars, lifter of the downtrodden, downcaster of the wicked. Mm -hmm. And it goes on and on and on. The point here is that this is an extended celebration of who God is, a a Mm -hmm. sort of litany of divine names, divine titles, which is a really beautiful and powerful form.
1: It it really is. And it actually mirrors, I think, what we do with modern day Psalms, which is more like our hymns. I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. like... Healer of our every ill. That one would be a little less powerful. It would be like the one who heals our every ill. Like there's something about naming God as as that title that makes it that much more powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's that's um, definitely there in the Hebrew grammar. Mm,
1: nice.
0: The other structural thing here is that this litany is sandwiched between calls for praise. Mm-hmm. Like all of those Hallel Psalms at the end of the Psalter, this one's also punctuated with more calls for praise so not only at the top and bottom in verses 1 and 20 but also again in verse 7 and again in verse 12 mm. the adjectives describing praise in verse one especially are really great praising God is tov naim nava mm. a good pleasant lovely thing to do <laughs> mm. <laughs> and and the call in verse 7 is is not actually sing as nrsv translate and new but respond. It's from the verb anna. Mm. Respond to God with thanks and a a beautiful melody. Mm. And that's important exegetically because the whole poem is framed as a response. Mm. The initiative here is all God's. God is the one who orders the world. God is the one who cares for Jerusalem. So let thanksgiving and, and praise well up and pour out. Mm, that's really beautiful.
1: I, I giggled earlier when you were talking about sandwich because I was picturing this as like a praise sandwich, <laughs> but <laughs> really, what it comes to at the end is more of like a praise fountain, where God is the one who opens up that water flow, and the praise is what just naturally comes gushing out of us, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Nice. We should we should serve praise sandwiches at the <laughs> uh, first reading deli. <laughs> I love it. I
1: baby, love steps, it. baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, cool. So how about, how would you turn all of this great exegetical work into a sermon? Any pitfalls you'd want to avoid?
0: Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to give advice for preaching from the Psalms mm. or from biblical poetry in general. Yeah. I mean, a, a structural analysis of the Psalm is probably not what your congregation is looking <laughs> for, unless they're really cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But for for you all as preachers, thinking about the structure as I've laid it out helps you to know where to land. It helps mm. you know what the central theological themes of the poem are, and how the poet plays with those. Yeah. And then you can take that and run with it. The the pitfall that I'd look out for with this one is a sort of um, "God makes everything okay" vibe. Mm. It can sound kind of hollow to those who are suffering, and in the context of a world that is still in chaos. Mm. But notice that when you scratch beneath the surface of the psalm, it too acknowledges the pain and chaos of life, Mm -hmm. as the Jerusalem community certainly knew, especially if this was composed in the the Reconstruction era. Mm -hmm. This is strongest in verses 2 to 3, where it says that God cares for the brokenhearted and is the doctor for the sorrowful. Mm -hmm. But also, the sorts of gifts that God provides in verses 12 to 20, the the lectionary passage, like um, security well-being for children peace abundant food Uh, these are the kinds of reassurances that are needed when those very things are insecure and produce anxiety yeah so this poem isn't a pie in the sky kind of psalm it's a pastoral encouragement to those who are experiencing the vulnerability of real life.
1: Again, I'm just brought back to hymns. I'm thinking of like Children of the Heavenly Father, which is a hymn that really dwells, I mean, aside from the gendered language for God, which can be problematic, sure. it's a, it's a hymn that really dwells in the trust that God is protecting and looking out for God's children, which can sound very simplistic, but when you know the story of the hymn that hymn writer's life was beset by sorrow and, and tragedy and pain. And what comes out of it isn't necessarily this like simplistic understanding of trust in God, but almost a defiant understanding of trust in God. It's, it's in and among and amidst those troubles that we still find trust, and that's a really powerful, powerful yeah. oh, a Um A lot of the
0: most, most powerful traditional hymns are like that. It is well yeah. with my soul. You nice, know, things, so that's
1: but, almost like a pitfall and a preaching angle, too, at the same time, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah, nice pivot. Cool. And, and then the other tricky issue here, I would say, is the kind of Jerusalemite exceptionalism that's in this poem. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that is the way that Jerusalem is focused on as the recipient of God's almost exclusive care. Uh. That theme is woven throughout the poem, but it's really emphasized at the end in verses 19 and 20. It says, no other people have had access to God's gifts like Israel or have been the focus of God's care like Jerusalem. Mm. That exclusivism or exceptionalism, it takes some unpacking. Uh, What you really don't want to do is take that concept and just transfer it over to to a kind of Christian exceptionalism, which would be supersessionism.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Maybe a helpful approach would be to note with appreciation the special role that Israel in the past and the Jewish people today continue to play in God's care for the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way the Bible frames it, God's special relationship with Israel, it's it's sort of magnetic, and eventually it draws the rest of the world in. in. In that way, God's care for Jerusalem in a poem like this can be read as an instantiation of God's care for the whole world
1: yeah I like that. It makes me think of Genesis twelve, where in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's this special care and blessing upon one people that eventually draws in the entire world
0: yeah I think I think that's a helpful way to approach this and what it does is it's drawing in theological themes from the Bible as a whole, yeah. To bear on this passage that doesn't emphasize it in the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that can be a helpful strategy there. Uh, but again, if I were preaching from this psalm, mm. I would focus my sermon on our critical need for divine care, for divine presence, healing and help. And then I'd turn to that litany of titles for God in the poem. Mm. This God, the counter of the stars, giver of snow and rain, granter of peace and healing. This is the very one who cares for us. So praise the Lord.
1: Oh, that's so nice. And I could see you doing some really fun things with that in the parish, like a children's sermon that focuses on what would you call God? What title would you give God? Um, or even doing that in the midst of the sermon of having people brainstorm, like, if you were to give God the most caring and loving title, like, what would that be? And then invite people to, to live with that title this week to, to use that title as they talk to God in their
0: prayers. Yes, yeah, it's, it's full of potential.
1: Very Cool. Well, that brings us to a really nice, I think, close for this week's episode. Thanks, Tim. That was a lot of fun. All right. Remember, friends, all of our episodes are at firstreadingpodcast.com, along with other resources and now your very own First Reading swag on the merch page. If you are on Facebook, you can also find us there and interact with us in the comments. Thank you to those of you who choose to donate to keep First Reading sustainable. Thanks also to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capitol University for a grant that helps us out. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, I'm Dr. Rachel Wren.
0: And I'm Tim McNinch. Stay safe and have a wonderful Christmas season.